With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, here we are, back again, on Crossed Up. It's me, Anthony, and there's Bob, and we have a Phillies trade. We have a Phillies trade earlier today, uh, one we kind of did not expect to, to come to fruition, but it actually did. It, it, it happened. The Phillies now have a new catcher, JT Realmuto, which is exciting because he's one of the best catchers in baseball, but was it at too steep a price? Bob Wankel and I will discuss this now. Bob, I, you know, we've been sitting around for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think we're in day 100 of the, or day 101 of Harper Machado Watch, right? And and nothing has happened on that front. And it's just been kind of dragging and dragging. We did a podcast about 10 days ago and just kind of like, oh, yeah, this thing is killing us. <laughs> Have to put in the work, you know. We're yeah. Here. Yeah, I just want to let everyone know we're still <laughs> yeah, doing yeah, we're, this. We're still, we're still here. Yeah. Still around. Um, and yet, then today, uh, well, actually, kind of just started the. I guess yesterday, the you know the whispers started to happen that hey, the Phillies might really be involved in this. And we had heard you know the Phillies were tied into Real Muto for you know back at the beginning of the off season, then kind of went away, and now they've kind of revisited it again. Um, it, it, there's no doubt he's a good player, and we're not going to sit here and poo-poo the fact that the Phillies you know upgraded their catching position because they really did. But the question is, was it worth Alfaro? And more importantly, Sixto Sanchez plus uh, Will Stewart, correct, was the third player uh, in the deal. Um, was Are you willing to give up your number one prospect in your organization to get an upgrade at a position where, yeah, you know, guys don't last very long and Real Muto's, you know, he's in his prime, he's 28, he'll be 28 to start the season, but he's only signed through this year and then he's arbitration eligible eligible next year and then he would become a free agent after the 2020 season yeah uh leave it to anthony sanfilippo to uh be pessimistic about something that's seemingly uh good you know i mean i color me shocked uh, um, no i'm just messing with you you know that i have some reservations about the trade as yeah. well uh, i will start by saying i'm really surprised that this deal happened uh i really am i i looked at it and i said well you know you're talking about a trade within the division Real Muto is uh, under team control for two years, uh, certainly a very affordable price this year. He's under $6 million. And if, if you're really going through it, you can make an argument that he's one of the three or four best catchers in Major League Baseball right now. And so it is an upgrade, as you said. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised the deal came together. Uh, it seems like it kind of came together very quickly after the Phillies were, um, it appeared, out of this deal for the last month or two. But uh, here we are. And you know what? I mean, your concern is also the same concern that I have. And I think that the question really is at this point, was this too steep of a price to pay? And I, I guess my my initial reaction is that it is. I mean, it feels... It feels like a little bit of a reach to me. And, you know, people have been responding on Twitter. I had, I had tweeted out this this stance earlier on, and people say, you know, they're just prospects. You're talking about a bona fide all-star. You don't know what Sixto Sanchez is going to be. 
And that's true. And I mean, we've seen that. We know what Kyle Drabeck turned out to be. We've seen it here with Dom Brown, who was considered untouchable for so long. I understand that they're prospects. I understand that Sixto Sanchez may not become Pedro Martinez. I also know that there is a little bit concern with, uh, you know, hard throwing guys that are six foot, five foot, eleven. You know, we've seen this this show before. We've seen these guys not pan out, get hurt, have injury concerns, and there are injury concerns with Sixto Sanchez. So I understand all of that. I guess my thing is this: Is this the deal? that you really wanted to make for him. You know, you talk about the way that he's been regarded around baseball and the things that people say about him and how seemingly excited the Phillies were about him. And now you're trading your best overall prospect to get an upgrade at catcher. But is it really that big of an upgrade? Does it really truly move the needle for this particular team as it's currently constructed? And that's my hesitation. You know, why not see what you have in Jorge Alfaro for another year? There are obvious flaws there. I, I, I get that. And then maybe why not see what you have in Sixto Sanchez? See what he does this season. And you either bring him in and, and he becomes that front end of the rotation guy or you move him for something that's more uh, more meaningful, I guess. And th- that would be the the criticism I have of the deal or at least my initial hesitation about the deal. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I, I, I got to express concern because the, the Phillies just don't seem like I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's a plan. Yeah, it doesn't. That's exactly what I was going to say. It, I was going to say it doesn't seem like there's a plan here, Bob. Because let's go back to last July, right when there was rumors galore about the Phillies trying to get um, Manny Machado at the trade deadline. And they absolutely would not include Sixto Sanchez in that deal for one of, you know, maybe the best player that was available at the deadline. And he ended up going to the Dodgers to stand. The Dodgers ended up going to the World Series, and the Phillies ended up having a second-half collapse that was of epic proportions. Now, I'm not, I'm not to say that the fact that they didn't have Manny Machado was the reason that they had that second-half collapse. Yeah, but and the, you shouldn't the, because in, in right. hindsight, it, it probably was, it was not the reason, it, yes. It, it, and it was probably a smart move on the, on the Phillies' part to not, sell the farm um, to get Manny Machado, you know, not knowing what his offseason plans were going to be uh, and with the team faltering like it did. So it actually worked out probably for the better for the Phillies. But if you, my point is, is if you're not willing to put the top prospect in the organization into a trade for what turned, what would be the best player available at the trade deadline, who would infinitely make your team better, who you could then have three months negotiating rights with. If you're going to spend silly money, you can give him that contract offer, you know, in the season or just as the beginning of the offseason, and maybe he's already here, right, and we're not still going through 100 days of waiting for him. Do do you think Um, that's the case? I mean, uh, let me just stop you there because I would have said that in September that that was probably possible, you know, the idea that get him in here and – start negotiating with them, and maybe you kind of skip this entire mess that we've seen play out over the winter. But considering where the offers have been and considering the amount of time that's taken place, here we are, you know, February 7th, and, and both Machado and Harper still aren't signed. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that negotiation window really would have mattered. You know what I mean? Like, I'm well, not necessarily I – mean, I'm not telling fair. you that you're wrong, but I just – it just seems like these teams and the players and agents are so far apart that I don't know that an exclusive window ne- to negotiate really would have changed the way that that played out. That's that's a fair question, Bob, but I, I would say to you that the Phillies probably would have ended up paying more then than they are now. Yeah. Because they're letting the market dictate 
what their offer is now, as opposed to we, we traded for this guy and now we want to keep him. How can we guarantee we keep him? We offer him money that he can't refuse, right? As opposed to saying, well, let's let it play out in the offseason. And boy, if we don't get him, well, we look terrible for trading our top prospect for him for two months and we didn't even make the playoffs. See what I'm saying? So that, yeah. that therein lies the difference. I think that you probably could offer him more. They would have offered him more money in September than they would have, than they have been this off season. So, so I think that if you look at it from that perspective, you know, they didn't want to take that chance, and I get it, right? Sixto Sanchez wasn't worth doing it then. And I, if we go back and it's, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I'm being a hypocrite. If you go back and listen to Crossed Up when we were talking back at the trade deadline, we weren't supporting that idea I didn't you didn't we didn't support trading Sanchez for Machado then right so so we kind of supported the, the Phillies on not getting him at that juncture the question then then remains well why if are you going to use the guy that every team in baseball is asking about to upgrade a position that okay yeah it needed you can upgrade it and you know the, the their war difference is you know almost three wins between the two of them um it's like 2.7 or whatever it is um and not save that bullet for you know finding that piece that you need. Like if you were, if you're willing to trade Sixto Sanchez, and I get it. Maybe the Phillies have some intel that, that you know that we don't know about. I know there was that one report um, that Andy Martino put out. It was in your story on Crossing Broad uh, that uh, there was an evaluator who said that they're you know they wouldn't be high on him because of injury possibility. You know that you know he's very injury prone. So if you're the Phillies and, and that's the assessment that you've come up with and you don't think that you know it's he's worth the risk, I get it. But if everybody's asking about him, why is this the move that yeah, you and, that and you I think use that that's a, a fair question. Um, let's just talk about what they're what they're getting here. I mean, you're talking about a guy that that's you know going to hit in the high 200s, possibly a 300 hitter. Um, he had over 50 extra base hits in 125 games last season. Uh, OPS was well over 800. He uh, OPSed at 825. I mean, you look at the numbers and you have to feel pretty good about the production that he had a season ago when he was an all-star. The other aspect that I look at is you were or he was on a, a bad Marlins team a year ago. Uh, not a ton of protection in that lineup. I mean, at one point, I think it was him and, and Justin Bohr were their like two primary offensive threats for a while. And, you know, obviously a pitcher's ballpark. So I, I wonder how the numbers translate to Citizens Bank Park in a lineup that is much deeper than what the Marlins trotted out there a year ago. I, I do wonder if there's going to be a, a positive uptick in the numbers this season with Real Muto. I, I do think that the one big difference, in, and we were talking about Machado a couple minutes ago, I think the Phillies have to feel a little bit better about the fact that they are getting an all-star caliber player. It is an upgrade, and they do have two years of team control. And presumably, even though he'll be 30 when they would have to rework or extend him at that point, you know, presumably this is a guy that if they view him a good fit, they can re-sign for an additional four or five years. You know, so like maybe JT Real Muto is a, a big part of the puzzle over the next, you know, five, seven, eight years for this franchise. And we look at Sixto Sanchez and say, even if he turns out to be a decent pitcher, you know, that was a fair price to pay. I don't, I don't think that the Phillies wildly over, you know, overspent here. But I, I do think, as I said off the top, it's a little bit of a reach, I, I guess. I just feel like it's a, it's a very bold move. It's in a very in a, a aggressive move. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not killing them for the deal, but I did go, ooh, like that kind of, that kind of hurt a little bit. Yeah, well, I want to look at, I want to look at a couple things here. Um First and foremost, is this a move to basically try and convince one of those two 
mega guys that, yeah, we are serious? I think that it is partly about trying to convince them that, yes, we're serious. Now, look, we're more of an enticing option. We're closer now than we were when we talked to you a week or two ago. I think it's partly that. I know there's a little bit of a, this narrative out there that Bryce Harper really likes JT Real Muto. They're kind of friendly with one another. And maybe that plays a part to an extent. But my overall evaluation of this trade hinges on what happens next. Like, is this deal the deal? And this is what I wrote on the website. Is this the move, you know, to compensate – for the inevitable disappointment that we're going to feel if they miss out on Bryce Harper or Manny Machado? Or is this move a precursor to that blockbuster signing? Because I will say this, if the plan is to go all in now and you sign either Machado or Harper and you plug both Real Muto and one of those guys into this lineup, it's a scary lineup. I mean, you could make an argument that there are really maybe one, two teams tops that could could boast a lineup that's this deep in the National League. So from that standpoint, the Phillies, to me, if they sign one of these guys, are a legitimate contender to win the division and, and the National League this season. And so if that's the case, I'm okay with it. I, to me, that this move, this real Muto trade, is not independent of the Harper and Machado saga. So if they they pull the trigger on one of these guys, I, I'm I'm feeling a lot better about it than I am as it stands right now. That's fine. Now, and if that's part of if that's part of it, then that's good. Now let me let me look at it from a, a negative side. And, and again, we're just throw, I'm just throwing these out there. I'm I have no knowledge of this. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. What if this is the Phillies are starting to get the inkling that, oh, no, we're not going to get who we thought we were going to get, so we better do something to try and improve the team if we can, and this was an act of desperation? I think that that's a, a real concern. I mean, we're recording this uh, in the early evening hours on, on Thursday, a few hours after the deal was made, and I, I don't know yet. You know, I think that that's the question that needs to be answered, and it, it certainly seems plausible that this is a Plan C deal. You know, and if it is a Plan C deal, then I, I guess I don't feel as good about it. Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> you know? I mean, and that's no, and and I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. But if it turns out that it is, then then we should all be upset. Um, I, you know, I think that the Phillies are are trying to do so. I mean, there's still other things that I they haven't addressed, which which are bothering me. You know, but, but you know what? It's 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 funny you say that because. I agree with you. It, as good of a deal as this is in terms of the fact that they just got a really good player and they are presumably better now than they were this morning, it, it still doesn't really shift, for me anyway, the way that I view this offseason. And it's been this way since we talked back in December. It's, will you be able to sign one of these two mega free agents? And I know that that seems to kind of make me like short-sighted. It's like, well, you know, there's other ways that you can improve your team. And they've done that. You know, they've made some pretty decent moves. And this is certainly a better team than it was in September of last season. And I will readily admit that. But I just can't get over it. I, I can't get over the fact that it's it's either sign one of these guys or you didn't have the offseason that we thought you were going to have. And therefore... I'm disappointed. You know, I think the Phillies, as it stands right now, can compete in the National League East, but I don't think that they're the front runner. And I want to be the front runner. <laughs> I want, I want that mega. You want to be the team to beat. I want to be the team to beat. God damn it! <laughs> and you know, and I feel like that they need Bryce Harper and Manny Machado to do that. So I just can't get over it. I'm not past it yet. You well, said, well, let me. You said though that you know you're not you're not sure. Like you're a little bit underwhelmed at this point. Well, so am I. 
you know, it's just there's so many chips that can still kind of fall here. Where does Dallas Keuchel go? Not that I love him, but where does he go? Does he get a, you know, a, a team-friendly deal from the Phillies? Because if he does, I feel a lot better about the rotation. What about Craig Kimball? Kimball what, what's going on with him, you know? So there's just yeah. still a lot of a lot of things that that can still unfold here in, in February and into March before we still have a complete picture of what we're talking about. Yeah, and part of me also worries a little bit if that's the mentality that they're going, and, and they could, and they, maybe they get Keuchel, and maybe they go after um, a Kimbrel, and maybe they add whoever else they keep adding. I keep thinking back to the to the uh, uh, when the Eagles tried this, right? When the, what, what what did Vince Young call them? The dream team. The dream team, right? When they were just pick, picking all these players from other teams and whatever and putting them all together on one and say, oh, this is the dream team. And then they fell flat on their face. And you just kind of worry that something like that happens. Maybe baseball, you have a little bit more time to gel because it's a 162-game season. I don't know. But anyway, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I want to tell you something to make you feel a little bit better. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try and make you feel a little bit better. And you, you kind of hinted at this. You talked about him not be, you know, that get him out of Marlins Park and, you know, his numbers are going to improve. And I, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Marlins Park is certainly a pitcher's park. We get it. <clears throat> but what if I tell you this? Well, I, I, you know, you know me, Mr. Analytics, right? I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I dive deep into these numbers all the time. Uh, it's okay to laugh, Bob. It's fine. Um, <laughs> weighted runs created plus. Are you, are you a fan of this one? Oh, uh, yeah, the old WRC. <laughs> yes. So basically what that does, just in case you're listening and you have no idea what it is, uh, it, 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 um, it takes the, st- uh, the stat that's uh, runs created and it adjusts it for a number to account for things like ballpark. And then if you're looking at it historically, look at the era that a player played in. So, you know, for a player who plays in Coors Field, which is, you know, you know hitter-friendly, um, they'll have a, a lower... Uh, weighted runs created plus than a player who has numbers at you know Marlins Park, for example, because it's a pitcher's park. Okay, the league average being 100. So if your if your uh, run WRC plus is 150, that means that you are 50 percent above league league average, right? So that's that's kind of how they weight these things. On the in the last three years, I'm going to give you some numbers. In the last three years, okay, on the road, not at home. On the road, weighted runs created plus. Manny Machado's 102, so 2% better than the league average. Bryce Harper's 134, 34% better than the league average. JT Real Muto is 137, 37% better than the league average on games away from Marlins Park. So that goes to show that I think what you're saying, you know, you put him in a hitter-friendly park like Citizens Bank Park, anywhere else other than Marlins Park, this guy's going to rake, and he's going to do really, really well. Uh, Yeah, I've actually seen some projections out there that suggest that if you take the park factors and you translate it from Marlins Park to Citizens Bank Park, you're talking about potentially 15 to 20 additional extra base hits. And I believe that was – I've read a lot in the last uh, 20, 30 minutes here, but I believe it was Corey Seidman that that came up with that. Uh, So I want to give credit to him there. I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy that goes from 50 extra base hits in a season to potentially 65 extra base hits in a season. And that's something you do have to get a little bit excited about. And I'm not exactly a Jorge Alfaro super fan. You know, you saw the raw ability there, the power, some of the mammoth home runs that he would hit, the arm, you know, and there were things that he did on the baseball field a season ago in his first full season where you said, damn, like, 
this guy does some really nice things. But then there were all the strikeouts, the, the trouble receiving the ball on a consistent basis. And he was a very frustrating player at times as well. And if the Phillies were going to be a 70-win team in 2019, I would say, well, I want to kind of know what he's going to be. Let's take another year to kind of find out what Jorge Alfaro is and what he has the chance to become. But if the idea is that you're going to try to turn yourself into a legitimate competitor in the short term, I don't know that I want to go through those growing pains with Alfaro again. And and I think that that's where the Phillies are at. I think they said, we have some pieces here. We want to try to be a competitor. This is a lot of uncertainty with Alfaro. And, and these are growing pains that I don't think that we want to endure if, if we're going to try to make a move and try to win and be a playoff team. And so I do get it, you know, and that's what's hard about this deal. There are things that I like about it. I mean, I like the player. I like the upgrade. I just, I just wonder about the value of, of the prospects that were dealt and if they sold short on those prospects on a team that, that may not be ready to that maybe isn't as far along as some of the people in that front office think it is. That's my concern. I had this guy tweet at me because I expressed some of these concerns on Twitter initially today, and he says, number one, Real Muto will sign a long-term deal. Like We don't know that. <laughs> number two, Alfaro will not be a better catcher. I agree. Three, Phillies are one big signing away from having the deepest NL lineup. I might agree with that. Four, hate to see Sixto go, but don't know when he'll make the majors. I don't think that that's the issue, really, frankly, uh, about him not making the majors. It's just, will he become an all-star pitcher? And then number five, it's time to win. And I mean, like, I agree with that sentiment. Like, that's not a ridiculous response to, to the concerns that I have. But, again, I just... Did they sell short? And that's the thing that I keep coming back to. And, and so it's did they sell short and are they going to sign Bryce Harper or Manny Machado? But I want Bryce Harper. Harper may, may be a better fit now uh, because Real Muto is a, you know, a right-hander. Um, Philly's lineup is a little right-heavy at this point. Yeah, and the um, last you, time we talked, I mean, I think we were in agreement. We we want Harper. Is that you know? I certainly yeah. want Harper, and I got the sense that you do as well. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, when you look at, you I mean, McCutcheon's a righty, Segura's a righty, Real Muto's a righty. So they have three righties added this off season that go along with Hoskins, and if you and you got Franco right uh, as your other righty. So the only lefties you have in the lineup right now is Oduble. Is that going to be Mike uh, El Franco, or is that going to be Mike Mustakis? Well, either, either either well. Yeah, okay. I think that it that has be. a lot to do with Harper's landing spot as well. But it, you know, it's just well, I mean, as of now, it's Mike Calfron. Yeah, isn't it crazy? And we said it. You know, right. we said it two weeks ago. There's just so many unknowns, and I, I don't right. know if it's just because we're looking at what's closest to us. I mean, there are other teams around baseball. I mean, I guess any team that's in play for either Harper or Machado will have a, a much different complexion once those signings are completed. But it's just amazing to me how incomplete of a product this is. You know, yeah. it's still, and, and we're so close. Yeah, and then if you add Scott Kingery to the mix, he's another right-hander, okay? Yeah. So so really, where are the, and I get it, you want right-handed power at Citizens Bank Park because it's easier to hit a home run to left field, right? I mean, it's just, it just is. It's the it's the, it's the short porch, it's low wall and everything, right? It's, it's an easy home run. But you would think that they would want a little bit of lineup balance. So at this point, if you're saying, if they're doing this and they're still saying, well, we think we're going to get one of those two guys, and you look at this lineup, which one slots in better and fits into this lineup better? The answer is Bryce Harper. 
let me ask you this, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the offensive uh, capabilities of Real Muto. Uh, we know that he, he's a very good athlete. He can run fairly well. Uh, good fastest time, fastest you know. catcher in, yeah. in baseball. Fastest catcher in baseball. He had the, according uh, to StatCast. Highest pop time. Uh, or the, I'm fastest sorry, the pop lowest, time at second base. Also according time. to StatCast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. StatCast yeah. likes JT Real Muto. Um, I guess some of the reports that we've read now in, in recent days is that he's also very good at handling a pitching staff. Um, do, do you think that the Phillies – Young, youngish staff. I guess they're they're rather green. I suppose. Do you think that they stand to benefit from from his presence defensively? Well, I mean, the one thing that the, the one knock on him has been pitch framing, right? I mean, um, uh, yeah. If you use, um, you know, if if you do uh, look at their WAR um, and you include the defensive uh, numbers and and you put it in there. He his WAR ends up being like sixth or eighth best, something like that, in baseball. But if you take pitch framing out of it, he's number one. Isn't that? It's, I find that interesting, right? Yeah. Um. And so that way, like, I don't really think that there's, you know, are is he two wins worse than Yasmani Grandal because he can't frame pitches as well as Grandal can? I, I disagree. I think that you know. I think that it's important. You, you definitely want your catcher to be good defensively. And he's got a great arm, and, and you know. And maybe the fact is, is pitch framing is you know the Marlins don't necessarily have a lot of top end pitchers. Maybe it's a lot harder to frame pitches when they're a little more wild, <laughs> right? But if you have strike throwers, it'll be easier to frame pitches. So like I, like I don't put as much stock into it as long as he's not, you know, f- however many pass balls they had last year. Whether they have thirty. Pass balls was, last year, the Phillies. Was, yeah, yeah I mean, just just catch the ball. Like I, I, I'm not too worried about how you frame the pitch. Like I think that's getting a really, really specific and really, really unnecessarily specific. Um, I, I, you know, when the Phillies, it, it, the Phillies obviously proved last year at the deadline that they were not happy with Jorge Alfaro. That's why they went out and got Wilson Ramos. And I think that they were concerned. Well, the reason they didn't want to pursue bringing Ramos back was because the guy you know he's injury prone let's face it he's a little bit older uh he can sure as hell hit but you know and that's what they liked about him and that's what they wanted you know out of that position and now they got that but they got it with a durable catcher Real Muto doesn't get hurt knock on wood and and uh and he can hit and he can rake and so if he's if he's just average defensively that's okay you know you take you take an average defensive player if they can be really productive offensively. It's it's the same concept in in basketball, the same concept in in hockey. Um, it, you know, if a player is really good at something and helps your team win because he's because he's really good at that one thing, then you take it and you and you and you. You accept whatever he's just average or you're mediocre at. Yeah, here you go. Just looking at it real quick. Uh, Alfaro a year ago, ten pass balls uh, and forty nine wild pitches, yeah. and uh, Andrew Knapp had six pass balls, twenty three wild pitches. Uh, so I mean, the Phillies, Phillies at times last year did struggle uh, to catch the baseball behind the plate. Uh, I think that that's that goes without saying. Uh, Real Muto, for his part, had eight pass balls and actually did. Allow 34 wild pitches, which is um, not great, but it's it's actually not that bad. It's sort of in line with with what you see around the league. I mean, you see enough pitches, and, and that is going to happen. He caught, uh, let's see, how many innings did he catch a year ago? I'm just looking through it here. 951. So, um, you know, Alfaro, 
he uh, he caught 869, and then Knapp was uh, significantly less than that, 392 innings. So, you know, I mean, this is an upgrade. It's an upgrade, and I, I think that, that that kind of is the overall point. So I, I guess now that that brings us to, to this, and this is, I guess, my question as we sit here in the wake of this deal um, I, I don't want to ask you, do you think they're going to sign Bryce Harper? Or do you think they're going to sign Manny Machado? I, I think we've wasted enough air on that. And, and to truth be told, I don't think either of us truly knows at this point. Nothing. I've reached the point in the offseason where nothing would surprise me on that front. Um, as it currently stands right now, let's assume that, that neither of these players come here, uh, but neither of these players go anywhere else in the National League East. And you look at these teams as they're currently constructed and your expectation of the Phillies uh, is currently what in 2019? As they're as they're currently situated, not considering anything to come, right? And and I think we would both agree something is to come. So this may be kind of a, a worthless exercise, but yes, let's say as currently constructed, uh, they start playing the games tomorrow. What do you think? They're an 85-86 win team. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are? I mean, let's, do it, let's do it this way. What are the? I mean, what are the Marlins? Marlins stink. Um, I don't know. Sixty-four. Okay. Uh, what are the Nationals? <sighs> They're ninety. High eighties, ninety. Yeah. Uh, the Braves. Yeah, same thing. Mets? And, the, and I think the Mets are right around the Phillies right now. Okay. Wow. So you got the NL East winning some games this year. I think it's a good division. I mean, when you look around the rest of the look around the rest of the National League, and what are you seeing? Like, what really jumps out at you and says, "Oh yeah, that team's really good." I mean, the Dodgers are going to be good again, right? But who else in the West? I mean, I'm not certain that the Padres are ready. I think that they're they're a team that's coming, um, but they're not I think ready. The Padres yet. have a chance to be annoying this year. I, yeah, I would call them yeah. annoyingly good. Yeah, I think that they can they can be pesky. The um, Giants the Rock- got awful. I mean, yeah. The what are the Rockies? I mean, the Rockies were a playoff team last year, and but they're they're just. I, I think they're a team that all of a sudden, you know, they struggle a little bit to start the season. They're going to sell off some players. I mean, you got Arenado going to be a free agent at the end of the season, right? I, I think you're going to see that. I don't think that they're going to be much of a much of a threat. And Arizona, obviously, they're they're they went they're going in the tank this year, and then in the Central. I mean, I like the Cardinals a little bit. Um, you know, the Reds are going to try <laughs> to be con- competitive. Um, you know, the Cubs are the Cubs. But that's I, I think Milwaukee takes a step back this year. Um, they haven't really done anything to, to impress me in the, in the offseason. I don't like where Pittsburgh's at. They're a little, you know, moving sideways team too. And, like, I don't, I don't love the National League. I think that the the strength of the National League, believe it or not, outside of the Dodgers, is in the East, and so I think you're going to have four competitive teams. But I still put the Phillies three four right now, as currently situated. Now you add Harper, it changes that they're better than the Mets at that point. And if you add something else beyond that, you probably are you know at the top of the division. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I guess uh, I'm a little bit more bullish on them. I, I think that they. We might have a similar win total. I could see 86, 87 wins. I don't know that that makes you the the third or fourth best team. I think it might make you the first or second best team. I I just – I want to know about the Washington Nationals. That's the team that, as we sit here right now, and I know the Braves won the division a year ago, and and they're still a very good team. 
I just I just don't know. Like I don't know what it is about the Braves that I don't fear them. Like I didn't fear them even as they were kicking the Phillies ass last year. I just never was like overly impressed with the Braves. Like they had a good year. I respected it. I understand they have a lot of young talent moving forward. They're probably going to be an issue in this division for the next five to seven, eight years. I understand all that. I just, as we sit here right now, it's not the Braves that I find myself worrying over. It's, it's the Nationals. And I still see all of that talent and that pitching staff, and I can't believe they had the year they had a year ago. I don't know that Harper's going to be back there. I guess it's a possibility that he ends up back in Washington. That's a team that I feel like has the potential to come out and, and win 93-95 games this season. Am I totally overvaluing what they are? Because to me, like that's the team that does scare me. But if they kind of do that thing they did last year where they play under expectations and they, they don't match their talent, then I think the Phillies can win this division maybe, maybe as constructed, maybe. Well, I, I don't think you're – I don't think you're – being ridiculous when what you say about you know what the Nationals are. I mean, when you look at it, they have a pretty solid lineup. Okay, they got a lot of speed at the top and Eaton and Turner. Um, Rendon's a, stu- a solid player. Soto's a stud, uh, we, as we saw last year. Um, you know, they added Brian Dozier for what that's whatever that's worth uh, to play second base. But I mean, he's a veteran guy who's had good seasons in the past. Didn't have a great one last year, but could be really good. I'm high on Victor Robles, who's gonna who's gonna be their other outfielder, assuming Harper does not go back there. Yeah, Phillies um, fans are gonna hate him. They're gonna hate him. He's he's a really good player, and, and so I you know they don't get a lot of lot a lot of people don't talk about him, but. He's the. I think you know. You hear about Guerrero and Tatis being the top two prospects, and then right ne- right after that, it's between Robles and uh, Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox as the next best prospect coming out uh, or coming into the major leagues probably this year. So I I like that. I like their lineup. They have a good bench. They have veterans on their bench, and you know Matt Adams and Howie Kendrick, who's going to be back from injury, and you know Michael Taylor's you know a decent bench guy. Um, you know, Defoe, uh, Kurt Suzuki's backup catcher. Their rotation. I mean, you got Scherzer, who's who's. Yeah, I was going to you know, say, I was like, are you going to get to the rotation? Because that's really yeah. the thing. I mean, well, yeah, I'm getting there. That's, you know, that's it's, where it's at. Yeah, that's what's yeah, Scherzer, the hell out of me. Yeah. right? And then Corbin, who they signed, who I liked. I thought it was a good signing for them. You got Strasburg, who if he could stay healthy, is is really good. And then you got veterans on the back end, and in, in what uh, Anibal Sanchez they signed. Um, he was with Atlanta, had a good year with Atlanta last year. And then uh, Jeremy Hellickson, who they brought back as their number five, and people might laugh, but Hellickson's a perfectly legitimate five starter in 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 yeah. Major League Baseball, and that's and you know he keeps you in the game for five six innings, and and that's all you can ask. Then you get to their bullpen, which has got a bunch of live arms, you know, Bearclaw and Rosenthal and Doolittle, Justin Miller, Coda Glover. I mean, that's the, the the Nationals are legit. They they really are. They might be minus the big star uh, in the lineup. I mean, you know, if you drop Harper out, I mean, Soto can become that guy. Um, but they have they're really solid top to bottom. There's not a lot of weaknesses in that on that team. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. It's going to be very interesting to see how this thing plays out. And, you know, obviously Harper's landing spot. To me, the two likely scenarios are that he either goes back to Washington. I know that there's people out there that that figure they spent their money elsewhere. They spent big dollars on Patrick Corbin, over $140 million. 
But I do think that there's a path for Harper back to Washington. I, I think that that is, is still in play. Um, I, I don't foresee, and I know the Giants jumped into the conversation late with him. I don't see that happening given where the Giants are at. Their their system's a mess. They are certainly in terms of, of the grand scheme of things in the NL West, they're, they're back at the bottom of the fold right now. I would actually say the Padres are ahead of them. So you could argue that they're at the bottom of that division. I don't see Harper going there, but... I could see a scenario where they, they offer him enough money. He's on the West Coast. San Francisco's a beautiful city. Like It scares me. I don't think it'll happen that way, but I feel like that they're in play. Let, let me – I don't actually, I don't want to say they're in play. It just It's like an outside chance where if he really gets pissed off enough and doesn't like what he has, like that there's this chance the Giants could sneak in there. Um, I, I guess what I want to know, and, and before we wrap this up – what do you think about the possibility, considering where we're at now economically with Major League Baseball and how angry these agents are and how angry the players are with the deals that have been presented to them this offseason? It's, it's been stagnant. The deals have been underwhelming in terms of both years and numbers uh, and with the financial commitment. Is there any shot in hell that a guy like Harper says, you know what, forget it. I'm going to sign a one-year deal, $35, $40 million. I'm going to let this process play out all over again next offseason. Why lock myself up for three, four, five, six, seven years, even with options after maybe the third or fourth, when I can just do a one-year deal and we'll try again next winter? Possible? Sure. (laughs) I mean, it's possible. Because that scares me as well. Because I don't think that the Phillies will be the team that gets him for one year at an astronomical price. To me, it's like if the Phillies end up with him, it's going to be on a long-term deal, maybe with a player option built in. But I don't see the Phillies doing the one-year deal. Like Where they're at and the way they're trying to build this team, I don't think they're going to do it on a one-year deal with him and then try to win him over. Like To me, the Phillies don't win the bidding if that's the way this thing plays out. And that's the only thing that concerns me. You know, I think I'm more concerned about the players taking a short deal than I am about another team coming in and outbidding the Phillies. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting – it's funny funny you mention this because I was arguing with my kid about this because Anthony suggested the same thing. Um, That that would be Harper's best uh, uh, angle to go with, just sign a one-year deal and then do it again next year. You know, and it's like I don't know. I mean, do you do you turn down if you're a player? Do you turn down you know hundred and some million dollars just so you can get a one year forty million dollar deal? I I don't know. I I just don't see it. Like, you know, I guess it's possible. You know, but look, there's going to be these players are going to want opt outs. That's that's a thing now, right? All the big name players get the opt out thing clauses in their contract. That's what they're going to want. And so you're going to have to give them an opt-out after three, four, five at most years. I, I can live with that. I can't have the uncertainty of having to go through this all over again after one yeah. or two years. But then, but let's let's say you give, let's say you know Harper signs an eight-year deal with the let's just say eight, right? Eight-year deal with the Phillies with an opt-out after three. Um, are you comfortable that they're going to be in the position that they need to be in? In th- in three years, that he sits there and says, "Yeah, this is where I want to stay." I- I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't. Tr- I don't trust the organization. I just don't. So that so that to me, that's a, you know, I mean, yeah, you're happy. Okay, great. We get three years of Bryce Harper, and hopefully, we become a contender in those three years. And he decides this is where he wants to stay. I think that but- the magic number on the opt out is is four years because the CBA expires in what 2021. 
I think. Yes. I'm pretty sure it expires in 2021. So I could see players right now saying the this has not been an advantageous um, offseason for the players. It, it's certainly the way that the economics of the game are set up. It has not been player-friendly in recent years. Free agency has been a joke. It was a joke last year. So if I'm a player, I, I could see a scenario in which it says, you know, or which one of these guys says, I need a little bit of, of security. So I'll sign this this deal, but after that fourth year, once we get into the new CBA, I, I want to be able to re-enter free agency. I want to be able to reassess my options at that point. So to me, if you see an option in one of these deals, say uh, an eight-year contract for Harper or Machado or whoever, I think that that will be – I can't foresee that deal lasting three, four years into the new CBA. Yeah. So – that's the part that scares me. Right. That's the part that definitely right. scares me as this thing plays out. Um, before we get out I, of here, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just had one thing I wanted to throw sure. out that uh, um, back to the Real Muto trade. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really talk about uh, Will Stewart at all, right? And yeah. wasn't on the Phillies' top thirty prospect list last in twenty eighteen. Um, uh, the twenty nineteen pipeline list has not come out yet. It comes out uh, next week, I think, or the week after. Um, so obviously he won't be on it. He'll be on the Marlins one. Um, but earlier today, Jason Stark had a, a tweet that said, uh, early consensus of people I've surveyed is that the Marlins did well here. Had one scout compare Stewart to a young Chris Sale. Oh. <laughs> How's that make you feel? Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> he had a very good year last year with uh, Lakewood. He uh, was 8-1 and one with a two zero six ERA, uh, 20 starts, 113 innings pitched. Uh, only 90 strikeouts in those 113 innings, but the whip was under one, and uh, opponents had only 218 against him, and uh, he will turn 22 in July. So, yeah, I mean, there is some upside to Will Stewart, and uh, I don't think he's a throwaway in the deal, although we failed to talk about him for the first 40 minutes of this show. Uh, he is a guy that, that I was a little bit familiar with uh, prior to today, and, um, you know, a, a decent piece. I, I don't think he's going to be Chris Sale. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that Jason Stark believes that he's going to be Chris Sale, but, yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's definitely a legitimate piece here. You know, there were some other names being thrown about when they were talking about who a third or fourth guy might be in this deal, and we had, we had heard other top prospects. Uh, Adonis Medina was kicked around um, in a couple different tweets and things like that. Moniac. Yeah, and, and who knows if these guys, uh, Hazley as well, we don't know if these guys were really ever in play or not, but you know, for Stewart to be the piece, and there is some upside there, you know, I, I think that that's definitely worth mentioning. So I'm glad you brought that if, up. Yeah, if uh, if in three years, JT Romuto is signing a free agent contract with another team, and and you traded away Stewart, Pedro Martinez and, Stewart and Chris and Sale, Stewart, and we traded away Pedro <laughs> Martinez and Chris Sale, this town is going to go wild. Yeah, but, you know, did the Phillies win a World Series in those two years? I don't know. You know, yeah, I I hear you. That is the nightmare scenario, and uh, leave it to us to bring that up. Uh, Yeah, that's that's what we're here for. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, I have one last – one last question for you. Uh, we can do yeah. this. It can be done in a sentence, I think, your answer probably. Um, okay. You know, at Crossing Brawl, we've gotten into the betting scene a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So right now, uh, on February 7th, if I gave you this prop bet, and the prop bet is, does Bryce Harper sign with his new team in February or in March? And I give you even odds. Okay, so uh, we'll just say minus 110 aside. All right, I have a little juice in there. Um, what do you got? 
I'll take February. Okay, you got February. All right. Yeah, I'll take February. I, I don't. I don't think he's the kind of guy who wants to drag it out. No, I mean, and, yeah, and, no, his, he, he wants a his, quick resolution. No, no, no. I, I, I don't mean. I didn't mean it that way. I don't think he wants to drag it into in the March. Yeah, the March season. You know, because then all of a sudden, you know, it's just kind of it becomes such an aggravating thing for everybody. I think the teams will get frustrated too. I mean, you're you're starting to see all these other teams check in. The Giants and the Padres checked in, right? Um, and you know, your reports that they're being up to as many as nine teams who are now in contact with, and that that's great. You know, uh, Aaron Judge said he'd switch positions if the Yankees want to get back involved in in it. You know, so there's all kinds of you know things. I think that happening now tells me that okay, now the wheels are in motion. It's going to come to fruition at some point here i i don't think it i don't think it lasts i don't keep they think they keep dragging it into march i think this is this is where uh scott boris wanted it to get to where there's multiple teams and everybody's talking and this and that and a lot of focus on them now and then that will that will in turn improve the offers that he's getting yeah uh, and i know that the trade market and the free agent market are independent of one another i'm just hoping that maybe this action here today uh, of I don't want to use the word blockbuster in describing this trade, but a significant trade nonetheless. Hopefully this kind of kicks things into gear a little bit uh, as we hit the second, third week of February and we get some answers here. Got anything else for you? Nope, I don't. I I think that's it for us. Um, It was a good episode. Good to catch back up. Uh, I'm sure we'll do another one soon as soon as uh, the Phillies do something else. I got to get rolling because the Flyers are about to – get underway um down here at the wells fargo center uh flyers uh obviously uh, going for nine in a row uh they're gonna get it you can uh, they should i mean the kings are a bad team but anyway uh you can find out more about that on the snow the goalie podcast <laughs> with me and russ joy uh which we will be uh recording uh for new uh, new episode uh, hopefully we'll be up tomorrow um, and then there's also uh, the Crossing Broadcast, which has been some really great um, additions of that lately with uh, uh, Russ and uh, Kevin Kincaid. Um, that's our, our flagship program here on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. And then the two soccer podcasts, which have kind of taken a little bit of a break, but I'm told are on their way back shortly. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and my uh, former running mate at the Delco Times, Matt DeGeorge, who is his latest co-host. Um, and then uh, Crossing Broad FC with Russ and Phil Kydell. So be sure to check out all of our programs here on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. And uh, don't be afraid to shoot a message to um, Bob and I on Twitter. Um, Bob's at BW Crossing Broad. I'm at Ant San Philly. Love to talk Phillies with you anytime, anywhere, uh, as we get ready to get through this winter season and into the 2019 year, which we hope will be a fun and exciting one. And believe it or not, we didn't we made it through this show, Bob. And we might have to we might have to make this lead off the next episode. I can't believe we didn't dive into the Gabe Kapler thing. I'm glad we didn't. We'll wait on that. <laughs> well, we have to. I mean, it, it certainly it certainly is newsworthy, yeah. and it certainly is something to talk about. Yeah. And and, and I, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what what comes of it. Um. But As anyway, you know, that, I have some thoughts on that, so we will get into that yes, next time. Yeah, we will we will dive into that on the next episode. So, um. Hang tight, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be with you. Sh- we'll be back with you again shortly.